Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Alex Sukunek, who is the CEO of Nova Royalty, the latest royalty uh, company on the block. These guys are after copper and nickel. If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, the company and the CEO, you can get that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. You can also find company reports on there, commentary from experts from around the world on various commodities, training videos, summaries of other interviews that we've done. And there's also a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. And if you go now, there's a seven day free trial. Alex, how are you doing, sir? Doing excellent. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Where are you? Whereabouts in the world are you? I'm calling it from New York City. All righty. How are things there? All good? Back to normal? Well, a lot better than they were um, in the spring. So we're just we're enjoying it while we can. Fantastic. Fantastic. Hey, well, look, um, thanks for coming on. We, we do love a royalty story on here, we say every single time. Um, and you're going to tell us a little bit about your royalty company, Nova Royalty. Um, so when you kick off, give us a one-minute overview of that, and we'll pick it up from there. Okay, thank you very much. So we, we started Nova in 2018, and the central idea was that although there were a lot of uh, companies in gold, royalty companies in gold and silver, um, we saw a very strong macro trend in electrification, and really in the terms of how the world wanted to produce energy and how they wanted to live. And the two commodities we saw as driving that were copper and nickel. So we decided to start a royalty company focused on copper and nickel, and that's what we've focused on since. Fantastic. 2018 was a slightly different world. Um, I, th I think people, you know, seeing Tesla doing their thing, and uh, I think perhaps they thought that it, it might be coming down the line. But um, this EV revolution has been quite slow in the offing, hasn't it? So can you talk to us about your business plan day one? Because I think the market hadn't caught up with your thinking. So. Had, how were things in the early days once you'd kind of got your plan in place? Well, you know, the thing is, when we when, when we just started, I think pe pe people were, and I think still are to a degree, thinking that this electrification and EV movement is a phase. You know, so they look at year-on-year -year numbers and they're like, oh, you're not as high, up, up as much as we thought. This whole thing was probably going to go away, right? No, it's not going away. This is a permanent long-term trend. When you, when you look at just basic preferences of consumers, what the governments are doing, so, you know, we are in this for the next 20, 30 years. You know, that's our view. And so, you know, short-term numbers are going to do what they do in this time. True. So, I mean, people know, you know, precious metal uh, royalty companies, flavor of the month, they're worth billions of bucks, or if, if they aren't, they, th they think they're heading there very, very quickly. Battery metals, less sexy. Price of copper, price of nickel has just been appalling for the last couple of years. It's been a tough environment for you, hasn't it? Uh, no, not at all. Um, you know, the thing is, like, I mean, the way, the, the, I mean, we've had a lot of success growing the company this year. We just announced a major acquisition today um, of a great project in, uh, called Takataka, which is controlled by First Quantum. I mean, what, what we see is the world is focused on precious more right now. We're quite happy with that because we see tremendous strategic value in our commodity. And I think that's becoming clear in terms of what the industry wants. Eventually, the markets will catch up to it as well. So, not too I know, but my point was, I guess, when, you, when you're starting off and you're going out raising money, which you know you would have done in yeah. you know 2018, it would have been a tougher environment with which to raise money than if you said you were a gold royalty company. That, that, that's my point here. And you know, the deal you've just done, great, but two years down the line, what was it like back then? What were the hurdles you were having to overcome? Well, I think we we had the benefit of some excellent investors out of who had. Well, we've done well with Metallic, 
you know, and sort of they appreciated, I think, what, what we could do um, sort of um, when, when, when we started the company. But you're right. People were wondering, well, how are you going to do this? What's the business plan like? What are the projects like? But I think it comes down to really demonstrating kind of how you see the value creation and what you put in the portfolio. You know, we, we started out immediately wanting to put the world's best projects in the portfolio, and that's exactly what we've got. And so I think people have responded to that pretty well. Right. But again, back then, there's only so many ways you can tell the story of supply demand on the EV thematic, and where people sort of look at you with glazed eyes and go, okay, not yet. The market says not yet. So the early days, how much money did you raise in, in uh, year one? We raised um, we raised two point six million Canadian in our first race. Right. So so two two million bucks went for the first acquisition, and then six hundred grand went into working cap. Right. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the easiest market, but that's really the only time you can start a good company, really, because you know you have to you know you have to see the opportunity. Um, it has to make sense to you and your team, and you have to pursue it when others aren't doing it. So there's really no other choice, to be honest. Okay, and then uh, in 2019, you picked up the Dumont asset, which is obviously now part of Waterton. Um, yes. You obviously had to raise a bit more money at that point. What, what did 2019 look like? Well, we when we started in 2018, we just put up some, some basic seed capital among the people, the founders. When we did our first acquisition, which was Dumont in January 19, that's when we raised the 2.6 million Canadian. Got it. And and so two million of that went to pay for the acquisition. We also paid a million dollars in stock. And then we, we took the remainder of that working cap and just went looking for more deals. Right, so but tell me about, did you do any fund, other fundraising in 2019? No, no, that was the only one. Right, I mean, it's really, it feels like small time because you just said to me, you, you go after the, 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 the big projects and copper projects are not cheap. The big ones are not cheap. You know, these are big projects, nickel likewise. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars needed. So how do you walk in with your two and a half million bucks or whatever it is that you've got today and compete? Mm -hmm. How can you really say that you can, you're after the best possible projects? Well, the thing is what we do is we, we, we don't target the mining companies themselves. We target the third party owners who own the royalties when you liquidity. You know, so when, when, we, when we bought the royalty on Nueva Union in February 2020, and uh, you know, we raised just below $6 million for that acquisition. You know, that was a gentleman, a Chilean gentleman in his mid-80s who needed to retire. You know, he needed money for his estate. And we saw we saw value and, you know, it worked out very well for both of us. Right. And so investors are very keen to fund those types of acquisitions. But it must still be tough because, again, we, we've spoken to a whole bunch of gold royalty companies at the moment. Gold's going through the roof, silver going through the roof. It, it must be tough you know, to go and have those conversations, people don't yet want access or exposure to battery metals, do they? Well, we've been extremely well supported here, uh, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the market, I mean, we went public a week ago. Um, our last financing before going public was 50 cents. I think the share price is just over a buck 50 right now this morning. You know, so we, to be honest with you, we haven't felt um, this so-called pessimism. I mean, people support the story. I think they understand what we're trying to do long term. I think a lot, a lot of that really has to do with how much, how you, how you focus your business and kind of what is the value proposition for investors. You know, if you're a gold royalty company, you're out there buying assets amongst very heavy competition, and it's very hard to get first-tier assets. You know, everything we put into portfolio to date has a chance to be an asset in a major company's portfolio. You know, so it's a, it's, it's a very compelling metric, I think, and I think the market sees that. Right. Okay, but you. Know, I mean, talk to me about some of those projects. Some of them are more likely than others, but you've got to take that 
opportunity when it's there in front of you. So you're trying to associate yourself with big, big, big name companies, big projects, some of which will work and some won't. So how do you, how do you uh, construct that blend of approach? I think, well, I, listen, I mean, we've got a very experienced technical team, you know, sort of among the people that we have associated with the company. Our founding chairman was a gentleman named Parvitz Frasangi, uh, who was the chief operating officer of Valley Inco. Um, and then kind of uh, amongst the other people involved with the company, we have some very seasoned, high quality technical people who can evaluate these things. So I think that gives us a very good metric to start off with. You can you can never cover off all the risk. I mean, the, the nature of mining is risk, but what you can do is, as long as you have the right value metric and you consistently transact through diversification, eventually you create something that you know kind of can help it succeed in at least in, in at least some parts of the portfolio. And I think that's the focus. But again, but when you're kind of starting off, you, you you've got less levers to utilize, right? So. You, I appreciate what you're saying about risk and you know, mining is a risk, inherently risky um, business in which to invest, but you're going to have some projects which are much earlier stage than others and others which are more advanced. And the more advanced they are, the more costly it's going to be for you. So you need to kind of paint a picture which makes you look bigger than the sum of the parts at the moment just to kind of get things going. It's, basically, you sure. play the market a bit to be able to get to where you need to be to be able to you know get cheaper money or cheaper uh, facilities in place, it's a game, right? Well, well, I mean, the thing is, I think I think what you're trying to do is just with the market, all of our investors who have supported us want to see. They want to see your focus. I mean, what are you trying to do out there? You know, and that, that that's really the whole the whole thing. You can call it a game, I suppose, but. Uh, we've been focused on the same thing from day one, and yeah, you know, people have backed it. That's that's all. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I I never felt that we were, you know, even when we had six hundred grand in working capital, I never felt that we were swinging above above our weight um, weight size. I mean, it's just a matter of what do you want to do. And there's people that we were buying royalties from to whom we provide very valuable source of liquidity and upside. You know, and um, so they've been engaging with us, I think, with a lot of appetite, and it's it's good to see some of those results. So how do you how do you step this up a bit? How do you, how do you, you've listed now, right? And let's you know, say share prices is, yeah. is good now, but you know you're still in the sunny uh, the, the, the sunny euphoria of of, of this post marriage phase yeah. you're in, right? Uh, and the shine will come off soon until you start making some big moves. So I look at a company like Nomad Royalty recently. They they walked in and with a Cisco and and got a big portfolio day one. How do you use someone like Parvis to? walk in through the door and I get you some bigger transactions to be able to actually create some real meat and meaning to this. Otherwise, it's, you know, well, it, it, it's it's slow, a creative growth. Well, I mean, the thing is, when you look where we already have, we have royalties in some of the world's biggest copper development projects already. Nuevo Union, Taka Taka, Dumont and Nickel will, will, will be that. Janice Lake is early, but promising. So we already have something that I think people who own other royalties will want to be a part of. You know, and so and we know how to grow a royalty company um, in terms of how in terms of creating value. So um, you know, we're brought on board. I think obviously the Natal experience is very instructive. So we are kind of what we wanted to do in this initial phase was build really a critical mass of value in the company and clear focus so that people you deal with know what to expect. So at this point, you know, we're very encouraged at what we see in terms of response from counterparties who want to be a part of the company um, as shareholders. You know, the people you buy royalties from, especially for sort of high quality projects that are not yet producing, a lot of the time they don't really have a good way of monetizing them. Because if you're just standing there waiting for the cash flows to come, it may take a while. 
Um, it makes much more sense to put them into a vehicle like ours, which is more diversified, which is constantly added to the portfolio. And the market sees the value of that quality and diversification. And that's something that can be reflected. So in terms of providing both liquidity and upside for royalty owners, we think that this is a pretty good choice. No, it, no, it is. I, I guess what I'm trying to get people, you know, watching the show to understand is that, it, you know, so it's not all sun, sunshine and glory. You know, the, the, these are calculated risks in your behalf. And, you know, we talk about something like Janice Lake and, and Four Metals. Rio's in there. Now, Rio's a great name to be associated with any project. But the reality of that is it's early days. They've just, you know, Rio has just got through phase one. They've got five-year program there of which they can opt out at any time. And companies like Newmont and, and, and Rio, they do this all the time. So you've taken calculated risks about the sorts of projects that you're after. Attack, attack. You've got some massive ones in there as well. But again, they've, they've got to get past certain hurdles before they can, people can start seeing the real value to you and can start get some sort of line of sight towards future revenues. Because again, none of these are near, anywhere near revenue flowing stage. So how do you as a business move things forward on that basis? Do you have to get a facility in place? Do you have to go and raise some money? I mean, how, how does it work? Well, I mean, you know, kind of right before we listed, we put in a, a financing facility in place at BD Capital for $15 million. So we, we announced that right before trading on the first day. So they, they've been a shareholder of ours uh, since February, when we did our financing to acquire new of a union, they liked the strategy, and you know, kind of we obviously had some things on the go, and uh, they they put up a facility to allow us to do that. So, so that's that's the kind of shareholder support you know kind of you really want to see. And what, what's that look like? What's the cost of that money to you? I mean, again, because that, that's kind of that's really really important to you, because again, you're not cash flowing for some some time. So, how how do you weigh up the cost of something like that that facility? Well, I, I think the way that we saw that it was an excellent backstop for us in order to be able to accomplish our growth plan. You know, so the way that we saw the value building exercise for the company was you wanted to build the base of value through really the most unique projects you could. And because then those, those things are like ocean from properties. They may be far away from production, but the value is always there and it actually improves over time. So this is where, this is where you want to start. You know, for instance, when you look at when you look at, say, Taka Taka or Nova Union, I agree with you, it will take a while. But once they get going, they're probably going to outlive our children. So the thing is, that's, that's the kind of thing that you want to you own. And so we obviously want to put some cash flow into the portfolio as well. And we're very busy on that front yeah, because you, you do want to diversify that for sure. But it's just a matter of kind of intelligent value building in the company. You have to start in the place you think is most crucial. And that's what we've done with really building a top-notch asset base. Now we can sort of move move closer in duration to today, put some cash flow in the portfolio. That's definitely a part of the plan. And, but really also just keep on executing the plan from the very beginning, and that's acquire the best quality projects you can consistently. So that's that's what we're doing. Okay, that, okay, that's important. Because um, to me, I think that's important anyway, in the sense that you, you've got some big future ticket items there, beautiful, lovely, revenue flowing. But you also have to show people that you're looking after the kind of less sexy side of things, which, but however, do generate cash flow to kind of, you know, alleviate your problem, your near to, nearer term problems. So how do you go about identifying those? Because again, you're not, you know, you're not a big player yet. You're, what's the market cap today? Uh, about 60 million. Right. Okay. So it's relatively small company. How do you get noticed and how do you compete? 
and how do you keep the cost of of competing down? Um, you know, it's it, 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 it's it's interesting. You know, so far, you know, because we are focused away from precious metals, uh, we haven't yet seen a flood of royalty companies coming in, you know, to, uh, to compete with us. That said, you know, everything is competitive by its nature because everybody knows what the wider world is like. So you have to always keep that in mind. Uh, for us, to be honest, you know, where we had success is where we we saw the value that was significantly in excess of what, what, what we what, what, what we had to pay. And then it was a matter of giving giving the royalty owners a way to benefit both the cash and returns. And what we've done, you know, our first financing was 25 cents in January 2019. You know, I think right now we're just over a dollar fifty this morning. So I think everyone's been associated with the story. He's done well, and it's just a matter of intelligent value building and kind of doing the right things. I mean, there are no miracles out there. I mean, you know, you have to do a lot of hard work to understand where where things fit. You know, and we we spent a ton of time preparation. I mean, you look at our 2019. We did the deal in Dumont in January. We did a small acquisition of some um, of some exploration royalties in March, and then we spent the rest of the year really refining our strategy and kind of pursuing opportunities that made sense. I mean, you're seeing the more, the results of that in 2020, where you know it's been sort of multiple transactions on the same thing, but all that hard work was done in 2019. You know, so I think I think it's a matter of really determining your focus, and I come back to that same word: focus, focus, focus. If you can intentionally build value, then your investors will reward you. I think that, that's, yeah. that's all I can say. Okay, and then who do, who do you consider your competitors? I don't mean other royalty companies. Obviously, they they are, um, but other forms of funding that these companies are looking at. I mean, how do you compete with those? Look, we we're focused on buying existing royalties. We don't really fund issuers that you know um, in the real way. We don't. We haven't yet seen really compelling opportunities to do that. You know, so they may come down the line as we get bigger, you know, because at that point, your cost of capital really rotates toward being able to finance, I think, potentially in much more attractive terms than your standard sources like equity or debt. But to date, we're focused on the market where where I think people have a real reason to transact with us. And that's those who own existing wealth. OK, you must be happy with Tesla's commentary in the market about nickel. I think most nickel CEOs are. You must be too, surely. You know, I have an interesting view on that. I, you know, I mean, look, it's nice, I suppose, but I think this, the whole nickel situation is much bigger than Tesla, you know, and it's like, and, and I think that, I think it shows you how early we are in the nickel game that we're talking about Tesla. You know, so the thing is like, this is, this is a commodity that's going to be a key ingredient in the entire automotive space. And, and I think people still have, don't fully recognize it. I and mean, when we made the call on nickel in 2018, what we saw was that the entire car industry is, go- is going to depend on nickel and it's going to fundamentally change the end demand for nickel, which has been stainless steel before and now it's becoming automotive. So it's nice to see those Tesla comments, but to be honest with you, what we see is this mass adoption where, where I find nickel fascinating is, you know, we grew up in this LME world where all nickel just trades at the same price and it doesn't matter where it comes from. It doesn't matter how it's produced. It's just nickel. And I think now what you're seeing is, you know, automakers have very specific requirements for where it's from, how it's made, what the quality parameters are. And you're going to see, I think, huge differentiation between different deposits. You know, so it's not just going to be about the cost of production. It's going to be the method of production and uh, and the location of that production. And I think that's what's exciting. You know, so when we look at opportunities, it's you want to find those strategic deposits that really can make a difference. You can get that premium. 
you know, so that's that's where we're focused more than anything else. I mean, is, is that whole ESG component important to your investors? If you look at Chang Chiang, they've said we're not going to do any more deep sea tailings uh, dumps, um, which is great because I think another three H Pal. Um, uh, companies are, are following suit there. You're looking at people like uh, Canada Nickel talking about zero carbon nickel production. You know, it, it seems to be quite a thematic here. And I just wondered for you guys, the royalty company, is that part of the sell when you're talking to institutions and saying, we will only invest in? Or is it a case of we just need as many deals as possible? Don't care whether it's clean, dirty, or whatever. We just need numbers. You know, I'll tell you, I mean, you know, there's a lot of sort of buzzwords going around and all this. I mean, I like balance in all things, to be honest with you, you know, and I think that, and I think the world eventually goes toward balance. I think what we are seeing, there's a difference in terms of popular sentiment, in terms of how the world wants you to extract materials. And I think, and if you don't want to recognize that, then I think you're going to have a tough time in this, in, in this universe. You know, at the same time, I think kind of jumping up and down and claiming your ESG compliant in every way is overkill as well. So, so I think um, what we want to see is projects that an automaker can associate themselves with, both from the perspective of public relations and where it's located, and know that there's some stability of supply. So I think it still it still comes down to those kind of building blocks of common sense in terms of. What can go, what can't. You can be zero carbon 20 times over. If the project doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. You know, at the same at the same time, no, you can't put tailings into the sea like people have done before. That's just not how the world is going to function. You know, so I think you um, you just see what makes sense. You know, but I mean, we we definitely don't we definitely don't look at it from the perspective of just nickel. It's much more project specific, and you, know, you can actually see that deposit becoming a part of the supply chain because it's going to be the customers that drive that. And um, I think that's pretty important. And does the Philippines, Indonesia, China have ability to hurt your plans? No, I don't think so. I mean, listen, I mean, they, they obviously have their own uh, sort of markets and, you know, kind of every every place in the world has its own rules for functioning. You know, kind of the way I, I see what we do, I think that the pro- products that we focus on will be those that primarily go to EU, North American markets, you know, because this is this is where I think you're seeing uh, those quality standards in terms of sourcing really, really increase. And I do think that when you, when you look at what's happening, you know, on a macro basis, you know, it's it's not just a matter of economics. It's a matter of just how people see the world, you know, and um, and I think you have to be sensitive to that. So, I mean, that when we when we think about nickel projects or cover projects or anything else that makes its way into the supply chain, you know, we just see the general sensibilities and where they're going. And try to understand okay, so 2018, you looked at the, the EV thematic thought. It's definitely definitely happening. Um, two years later, what's your sense on timing for this? Because obviously nickels, look, people seeing a bit more interest, price up to what, 660 a pound today. Uh, copper, again, done quite well in the last few weeks, but what's 2021 hold for both of those commodities? Oh, I have no idea what 2021 holds. I mean, we're looking at this in a 20-year cycle in terms of where, where the world is going. I mean, if I if I had a crystal ball for what next couple of months are going to hold, um, look what what we see with nickel. Just let's start with that. You know, you're going to need your 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 requirements for automotive nickel will go up roughly 20-fold from 2018 to 2030, based on based on today's projections, which will be more than 50% of the current global nickel market. So that's a level of supply necessity, which is 
quite dire. So the industry is going to have to figure out where this stuff comes from, and not just where it comes from, but economic and produced in the way that people can actually put their name on. And that's the question that we always think about, you know. And, and so, yeah, because nickel has nickel, particularly the nickel that you're going to need for automotive, has been so underinvested. It, it there's some response is going to have to come. And when you when you look at the majors, they're all now saying we want to be nickel. It's BHP, whether it's Rio, you know, they all would be nickel, but there's been so little investment, it's a whole new industry that's being born fundamentally. So, you know, so they've been taking sort of these small pieces here and there, like BHP picked up Honeymoon Vale, for instance, you know, and, uh, but <laughs> again, you, you haven't seen, you haven't seen big swings taken yet, but that's going to have to come. So I think that's going to be the fascinating part of what happens with nickel, you know, with, with copper, you know, it's already a huge market. I mean, copper is the world's biggest industrial metal market. So 150, 170 billion dollars a year. So. But you're going to ask copper to be something like the new oil, yeah, because you know you're going to be using copper to basically get away from fossil fuels. So you know, pu putting putting a copper mine into production, you know, there are simpler things to do in life than doing that. You know, so it takes years of exploration, it takes years of planning, it takes capital, it takes community relations. It's it's a massive undertaking. So you're Copper supply has grown roughly 1% a year from 2015 to 2019. You're not going to be able to decarbonize the world with 1% supply growth. Let's put it this way. <laughs> I don't know the number, but it's going to be much higher. So, you know, our focus, find the best possible projects that fit that pipeline and get the royalties on that and just build that portfolio, understanding where they fit in the grand scheme of things. No. And then when the commodity prices run, they run. Yeah, but but again, isn't isn't part part of your story? Part of your job is to get the market excited about your project. You know, BHP is saying right next year it's about nickel, it's about copper. BHP is saying that, right? Um, they 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 recognise that they need to get back into nickel. They haven't walked away from it. Same, you could argue to agree with copper. So there's. There's momentum that is a big part of people getting Absolutely. behind Eurostar. You're a 60 million market cap company, right? You're not a big company yet. So you're going to need that momentum in the marketplace. So having a view of what the short term looks like, I think, is important because you can't keep pointing out to when some of these bigger projects of yours may get into production and start producing new cash. Don't you need to kind of drive that excitement too? Isn't part of your responsibility to do that? Well, I mean, listen, I mean, you see, I guess, what the copper price is doing and things like that. But I mean, the thing is like, I mean, and again, you know, when you see short term projections from, say, 325 to 350, I mean, we're buying, I mean, what we see is copper is going to go well over five bucks. The question is when it happens, you know, so because that's the incentive price you need to get things going, you know. So, I mean, to the degree that maybe we're not as focused on the short term, because when we see 325 and 350, that's kind of a drop in the bucket. Relative to you actually need to build a copper mine. You know, you're gonna to need to see five, six, seven dollar copper in order to get that going. You know, so when you when you think of it that way, then you have to then then you start looking at the project perspective and say, okay, look, which can get built? Who has the owners who have the wherewithal and the expertise? You know, so when you so obviously time value of money is a critical component in your analysis. You know, so you want to price your acquisitions in such a way you give yourself a buffer. I mean, everything we've done. It really has been a double-digit IRR, even on conservative assumptions. You know, so when you can when you can lock that in for decades into the future on high-quality projects that do have a future in this metal price, in, in this metal cycle, that's a super compelling 
uh, investment. And mind you, you also get the benefit of production expansions that happen over time because these big mines, I mean, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So, so you, you have the, the, the benefit of compounding, which you just don't get in any other investment. You know, so, so to the degree that you have to wait some time for them to get into production, that's fine. But the thing is, as long as you can price that conservatively today, even taking that lag into account, and you get all that optionality for free afterward with serious people that know how to do it. It's very hard for me, who spent his whole career in this investment business, to find a better way to invest your money. You know, which is why I've basically devoted my whole life to this now. So um, I think it's, it's 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 super exciting because you have a strategic need for these projects. You know, you're going to need the commodity, and the, and the commodity price cycle will be there, just given what you need. But, this, but then it becomes very project specific because just because the commodity price cycle is there, it still means most projects out there that call themselves in the future will be moose pasture. So then you have to focus really on the quality operators and the quality technicals. And so that's why we've been so picky about what we put into the portfolio. You know, when we were just really starting out with Dumont, post that, people were telling us, oh, you know, just go take what you can get, buy some smaller things. But we understood very clearly, even at that point, you have to focus on quality and you have to focus on things that have a legitimate future. So we bought Nueva Union in February of this year. Two days after the acquisition, New Martin Tech announced a drilling program of $152 million on our property. You know, so you're talking about a very large project that can get much larger. So the drilling at that point was done maybe five, 600 million to five, 600 meters depth. Maybe you can go to a kilometer, who knows? But the point is you, you need to put yourself into a position where Companies that have the wherewithal to do something, their investment benefits you. You know, so you have to, it, it's critical that you do that because you can have the world's, you may have some potential in there, but if you don't have the right operator who knows what to do with it, it's just going to stay there. You know, so, um, so it really is, it really is, I think, very much of the sort of the rewards going to a relative handful in, in this, in this sort of copper and nickel business. You know, so like if you look at the incremental supply of copper, it's going to be five, ten mines around the world that will give you that production growth on an annual basis. And so everything we do is trying to get ourselves, get the royalties on things that can be that five, ten at some point in the future. And if you can get there, then the rewards are much greater than you ever anticipated because these things just keep on growing. And I mean, right now, our copper industry was built by grandfathers. These are like 70, 80, 100-year-old mines. You know, so once, and so I take your point on, yes, it might take a while to get into production. But what I say is that weight is worth it because once it's there, it's really there. This isn't, you know, a 10 year gold mine, which sort of is in and out. I mean, this is really a lifetime asset. So yeah, yeah. Bit, I think that's super. Billions cool. of dollars of investment required. I, I, I get it. I understand it. Um, how many more sure. deals are you looking to try and complete this year? Listen, we've got a, we've done, I think, so far this year, it's four transactions, you know, and so we've got a full pipeline ready to go. I mean, forecasting this stuff is, 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 is never a good idea, but, you know, we've been pretty successful so far. So. We expect to be pretty active here. Okay, you continue to be active, and I expect into 2021 as well. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I mean, we 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 see ourselves just just to be clear, we think that this will be this will be the best way to invest in the copper nickel space, as far as the portfolio royalties. So we see the entire commodity market as our potential universe. So we've got we've got enough to do. No question, and so we're pretty excited about it. Good man. I just want to be clear. So there's some some questions sent in. So. You've got Brett Heath has just joined you, who's of, of Metalla Royalty. Any of any more of the Metalla team joining you? Um, right now we have right now we have Brett as an as an independent uh, chair, 
Right. And then yeah, we're still kind of we're still kind of figuring out some some of the pieces in terms of people, and we'll we'll keep. Oh no, yeah, thank you. And no, I just wanted to clear it. So some people thought that the Metalla team or a, a large chunk of the Metalla team were joining you in some way, shape, or form. But no, you, you're right. It's your company. You're running it. Brett's come on board to as an independent chair. Yeah. Well, well, Brett and I, Brett and I put the company together back in 2018. Um, EB Tucker is involved as well. Okay. You know, so, oh, he so is involved. What's so he? Really been, What's he EB? doing? Uh, EB right now is a is, is, is a good size shareholder. Right, shareholder, an advisor. He's an advisor. Yeah, you can. Yeah, EB is an advisor to the company. Okay, cool. That's good news. He's a good guy. So, I mean, basically, uh, yeah. Look, we had kind of Brett and EB are great. You know, kind of they, they understand the fundamentals of doing this out of the gate. You know, so they've been invaluable, and then kind of so we, we we brought a team sort of inside the company, and then Brett and EB obviously were instrumental. Brett's coming, Brett's now come as chair, and you know we're still building this thing out. Okay, okay, um, and I'm going to ask the same. I've asked this sort of, but I want to ask it properly because the question sent in. I want to make sure it's answered properly. Um, how do you see the effect of Chinese tariff on base metals? Will this affect your cash flow? Or it be a burden on shareholder value going forward. I, I think you sort of answered it, but just if you don't mind. I mean, you can you can do whatever you want. You can put tariffs. You can try this and that. Commodity demand is commodity demand. You know, the world is electrifying. You need the stuff. You know, so again, I mean, you have to get it. You have to get the right stuff out of the ground in the right projects. That's that's a fact that's going to stay there. You know, governments are. I mean, we, you're in the age of where governments are going to be asked to take a much bigger role in the whole functioning of the world, you know, and that's the social, social safety net programs, that's through economic management. So, you, you know, that's going to play its way through uh, through everything that happens, um, you know, kind of. But at the same time, all of these governments still have to answer to the reality where they are, you know, and, and we, we're not Okay, thank you. I suspect it won't just be Chinese tariffs the way the world's going at the moment. But uh, look, um, Alex, thanks so much for spending your time uh, telling us this story. Um, like you, big believer in copper and nickel. Um, I think it's exciting times ahead. Love a royalty. Nice way to get exposure to it. A little bit less risk and a little bit uh, more upside further down the line. I agree with you. Well done. Um, stay in touch. Let us know um, when there's new news. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you very much. I hope I hope I hope, I hope this was clear in terms of what we're trying to do. You know, and, and uh, you know, it's uh, we're excited because you know right now there's a lot of royalty companies in gold and silver. I think we're the only guys really focused on this space. And you know, gold and silver. The reason you have gold royalty companies in gold and silver is because there's a strong fundamental macro trend. You know, of owning gold, and people want to own gold through royalties. Um, copper and nickel before no one really cared. They were just boring industrial metals, and then it's fine that you're useful, but no one really paid attention. But I think what's happening now with the energy change, these are now strategic commodities. So now you actually have a macro trend, which makes it important to own copper and nickel somehow. And this becomes your vehicle to do that, just like the gold royalty companies are in their commodity. So it's a pretty straightforward story. Uh, I, th- I, th- I, think, I think copper and, and nickel are sexy. They bring the sexy into uh, base metals. Um, Alex, good to speak to you. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.